And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Bruce Klingner. He's Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia with the Heritage Foundation. Bruce, it's an honor to have you on today with us. Well, thank you for having me. Bruce, uh, before we get started, we want to talk a little bit about North Korea. Could you tell us some of your background and some of your interest in uh, Korean and Japanese affairs and that sort of thing? Right. Well, right now I'm a senior research fellow for Northeast Asia at the Heritage Foundation in Washington, D.C., so I cover North and South Korea and and Japan, and I've been here a little over 10 years. Uh, Prior to that, I served 20 years in the U.S. intelligence community with the Defense Intelligence Agency and the CIA. Uh, I started working Northeast Asia in 1993 when I was the uh, CIA's branch chief for North Korea at a time when we thought we were going to war, we might be going to war with North Korea. Uh, and then after that, I was uh, the deputy division chief, and our unit would write uh, anything for the president or other senior policymakers on North Korea. That's helpful. So you've been watching uh, this situation over the years with North Korea. You've been very close to it. You recently wrote a piece, I think it was uh, this past Wednesday, what's different about North Korea's latest missile launch. Uh, can you... Uh, Share some of that with our listeners today. Right. Well, there's, uh, you know, we have reason to be concerned about this missile launch, but also just in the broader context of North Korea's continuing development of its nuclear and missile arsenal. So they've really been working on it since the 1960s, but uh, it seems to have accelerated under the current leader, Kim Jong-un. In his five years in power, he's had twice, maybe three times as many missile launches as his father did in 18 years. So whether it's uh, reflective of his uh, personality or his desire for accelerating these programs or just the fact that a number of the programs have been uh, nearing completion as well as it seems like he's augmented the the arsenal. So uh, what we've had in the last year is uh, breakthrough successes in several of their different uh, missile systems. So we think overall they have 16 to 20 nuclear warheads. The Missiles that already can range South Korea and Japan, we think, have nuclear weapons. So that puts two of our critical allies and our forces there already at nuclear risk. Uh, They have a submarine-launched ballistic missile, which has had a number of failures, but also a success last year, Uh, a test of an intermediate-range missile last year, which was successful. Uh, And then this year, what we just had was a successful test of another intermediate-range ballistic missile that, had it been fired to sort of a normal trajectory, Uh, certainly could have reached Guam, which is where we have a number of U.S. bases, which are critical for the defense of the Pacific, including the Korean Peninsula. Yeah, so um, this is kind of a concern, quite a concern. Uh, Well, put it this way, how concerned should we be uh, with this information? Well, we we should always be concerned with any technological development or breakthrough by North Korea. So, you know, we, if we think they already have the missiles that can hit our uh, our allies uh, with nuclear warheads, this missile as well as the other uh, intermediate range missile from last year called the, that one was called the Musudan. This is called a Hwasong 12. Um, now that they can successfully uh, hit Guam with two different kinds of, of missiles, and we think they're obviously working on the nuclear warhead for that, you know that. Uh, would impede our ability to defend our allies, or it sort of reduces the deterrent capability of our forces. And also, this missile is also troublesome because it it may be a test bed for their ICBM, the uh, 
if it shares the same technologies, perhaps may even be the, the first stage of a multi-stage ICBM, which would be able to reach the United States. So by having a successful test with this missile, not only does it shows, show that they have a, a means to hit the U.S. bases in Guam, but they may have also just made a, a technological leap forward on their desire to have an ICBM that can hit the continental U.S. That is troubling. Um, I wonder how far away they are uh, to uh, actually develop an ICBM, but yet on the heels of that is they have a submarine. How close have their submarines been spotted to the United States? Well, on, on the ICBM, they have a couple different systems. One would be more vulnerable because right now it's, it would be launched from a fixed gantry or a fixed site. Um, they say it's for a space launch vehicle, but it has the same technologies as an ICBM. And that, uh, they have twice successfully put a satellite into orbit, which is, again, ICBM technology. Right. Uh, and the South Korean Navy dredged the first stages of those missiles up from the bottom of the sea, uh, and the Minister of Defense later testified that uh, first thought it had a 10,000-kilometer range, which puts about 40% of the U.S. in within range. It's down to about Missouri or so. Mm. Uh, and then the last year when they did it again successfully, now experts say, well, it's probably 13,000 kilometers. That's all the way down to Miami, the entire continental U.S. Wow. They're also working on a road mobile system or systems uh, which... Uh, not only with this recent test, but some information that North Korea has shown uh, enabled scientists to look and say, yeah, that one, when it's deployed, maybe it could hit uh, New York and Washington. Uh, And then a submarine missile, uh, they've, again, had some failures, but a successful one last year. Uh, And that's very worrisome because it exposes South Korea's flanks, the, the east and the west coast, uh, to missile attack. Right now, the South Korean Navy doesn't have any missiles on their ships that can defend against uh, a ballistic missile. Mm. Um, now, there are submarines. Uh, we haven't detected them anywhere near you know, Hawaii or, or okay. you know, the west coast of the U.S. So we think their SLBMs, a submarine-launched missile, uh, would be more likely for attacking South Korea or Japan. Now, uh, South Korea, of course, you know, we're friends with South Korea. Um, they've just had a, a recent election. There's a new president there in South Korea, uh, Moon Jae-in, I think, something like that. What's his relationship with, with North Korea in, in terms of how to deal with his neighbor? Right. Well, he, uh, he's left of center, uh, a liberal or progressive, as they would be called in, in South Korea. Uh, and we have a number of questions or even concerns about what his policies will be. Uh, but we really don't know. He's only been in office of, about a week. Um, he was uh, chief of staff to a previous liberal South Korean president called No Myung Hun. Uh, and under No, there was a lot of strains between the U.S. and South Korea. It was back during the George W. Bush time uh, because No really wanted to pursue basically unconditional engagement with North Korea, just give lots of money, lots of benefits to North Korea, really without any demands for North Korea to moderate its behavior, put in place economic or political reform. Uh, So there's a lot of concerns that Moon would try to emulate those policies, which would cause uh, trouble with the U.S. as well as the international community, because there's now this sort of collective consensus that we really need to increase the pressure on North Korea. Um, So if he goes down that path, then not only would it cause strains with Washington, but uh, it, it would really undo the international consensus on pressuring North Korea. It's 
you know, other nations would say, well, if even South Korea is not willing to pressure them, why should I go to the trouble of doing that? So uh, the analogy I think of is, is after the last year's nuclear tests, it's the U.S. and South Korea were finally able to rally pressure. So it's sort of like in an old West movie, the, the sheriff finally gets the townspeople, the reluctant townspeople energized enough to be a posse. You know, we've now surrounded the bad guys out in, you know, Deadwood Gulch. And just as we're trying to close in on them, if Moon acts in this leftist way, it's like a deputy saying, hey, guys, there's a secret exit over here, and here's some bags of cash on your way out. <laughs> um, on the other hand, he Moon has also said a number of very positive things about the alliance, You know that it's the, the foundation for democracy in South Korea. He, he's America's friend. He wants to strengthen the alliance. Um, and, and there are sort of conditions that would make it harder for him to follow that same very unconditional engagement, predominantly North Korea's bad behavior the last several years. So, you know, we don't know. Uh, we'll have to see sort of which path he goes down. Yes. You had written a piece also entitled um, The Dangers of Premature Negotiations with North Korea. Um, I assume that article was aimed at, at the United States, perhaps? Well, it, it was aimed at people both in sort of the U.S. and, and South Korea who, you know, feel frustrated with sanctions or who have never really been in favor of them. And, and they, you know, parlay a number of, of mischaracterizations about sanctions, uh, you know, like Obama when he said North Korea is the most heavily sanctioned, the most cut-off nation on earth. That's just flat-out wrong. Mm-hmm. We've done things to other nations that we've never done to North Korea. Yeah, we've actually been pulling our punches contrary to you know, misperception. So, for example, last year the U.S. had unilaterally sanctioned, finally, as many North Korean entities as we had sanctioned Zimbabwe entities. So we have been pulling our punches. But yeah. uh, sort of there's sort of this group of folks who will be advocating, let's try something new like diplomacy or, or negotiations. And, and I wrote the paper to point out you know, we've had eight international agreements with North Korea all have failed. We've had two-party talks, three-party talks, four-party talks, six-party talks uh, over the last 25 years. They all failed. Uh, South Korea has 240 agreements with North Korea. All of them failed to induce reform or moderate their behavior. Uh, U.S. diplomats have have pointed out they've tried repeatedly to engage with North Korea, and the regime is always the one that, that rejects uh, engagement. And when I talked to a North Korean official, he, he said, yeah, they were the ones that closed what's called the New York Channel, uh, which is the last official link between the U.S. and North Korean governments. It's where uh, we both have missions or mini embassies at the UN, uh, United Nations in New York. So that was a way of communicating. North Korea closed that. They closed in a Korean dialogue. They even literally won't pick up the phone in the joint security area in the demilitarized zone uh, so when U.S. and South Korean military officers try to have a, a, a meeting or interaction with the North, they literally have to stand on the demarcation line oh and yell with a, fo- with a bullhorn, please pick up your phone. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, now, we can't read a person's mind. We can't understand the, what's inside the heart of a person. And yet, what are the stated intentions of North Korea regarding possible aggressions? Well, they, uh, we know that um, after Kim Jong-un came into power in 2011, that uh, he directed the military to come up with a new war plan so that they can occupy the peninsula in seven days. 
that would require them to go nuclear uh, you know, very early. That doesn't mean they're gonna. He's gonna wake up some morning and say, you know, let's head to to Busan port. But uh, you know, he wants that capability. So the missiles, the nuclear weapons, the million man army, you know, all go along with having that military capability. So we can't just dismiss it as as you know a non threat. Uh, having nuclear weapons also uh, not only gives them an attack capability, uh, but also it deters any kind of U.S. action. Sure. Now, North Korea would depict it as to prevent us from doing a unilateral attack like we did on Iraq and Yugoslavia, and they said we won't be like those countries. Their mistake was they didn't have nuclear weapons. Uh, We would see it as it may deter us from responding to a lower-level North Korean attack on our South Korean ally. Mm, Yes. Um, Just in passing, how many nations currently have a nuclear capability at this point? Oh, I, I... think it's about nine, so it'd be the the permanent five in the U.N. Security Council, uh, U.S., China, Russia, United Kingdom, France. Uh, Israel is suspected to have nuclear weapons, India and Pakistan. Um, I guess that's it, and, and North Korea. Yeah, okay. So uh, no question, North Korea does have the bomb, as it were. It, exactly. There's, I, I don't think there's any doubt. It's just we, we're not sure how many or, or how far along they are on the development. Um, just as with the, the ICBM, we're, we're not sure how far along they are on that path, but we certainly know that's the path they're on. Yeah. Um, what kind of options would you recommend to our nation's leaders to uh, protect the people, certainly the U.S., but also Guam and our allies, Japan and South Korea? What should we do? Yeah, I, I think the components of uh, the U.S. policy towards North Korea have, have really been in place for, you know, in, actually a number of administrations. It's just, in a way, how vigorously we implement them. So, you know, we, we need to have a integrated, comprehensive strategy so that uh, we do have uh, pressure tactics, you know, which is not only enforcing U.N. resolutions, but it's also enforcing U.S. law. Uh, and successive administrations have pulled their punches on that. And, you know, what, what that goes along with is, is, you know, sanctions, people tend to think of trade sanctions. And if we're not trading with them, you know, what kind of impact could sanctions have? Actually, what they are is something called targeted financial measures or smart sanctions, which were really created after the 9-11 attack. And it's a way of going after uh, the money of rogue regimes, terrorist groups, criminal groups, because Money's got to cross borders at some point, and the vast majority of all international financial transactions in the world, including North Korea's, are denominated in dollars, which means they go through a U.S. bank, a U.S. Treasury Department-regulated bank in the United States through what's called correspondent accounts. So it actually gives us tremendous leverage. Uh, they go, you know, they're using front companies and banks and et cetera, uh, and they're going in, you know, using our financial system. So. By not sanctioning these North Korean violators that were Chinese facilitators, uh, in a way, we're giving them immunity from U.S. law. So it's like, you know, if you own a bank and you see folks coming in from a drug cartel with suitcases of cash from illegal activity, you know the activity and 
you're not only allowed to protect your bank, you're required to protect your bank, and yet, in a way, we've been turning a blind eye. Mm. So that's something we need to to do, not only against North Korea, but against uh, Chinese violators. And the Trump administration looked like they were going to go down that path, but now they're they're holding back uh, after the summit in Florida with the Chinese president, apparently in return for Chinese promises yet again of that they'll do more pressure. So we need pressure. We need to leave open the door for diplomacy. Uh, we need to re-strengthen our military after several years of budget cuts, uh, and we need to augment our missile defense systems and then also uh, increase information operations against North Korea to get information in and out of there. Yeah, it seems like a, a strong defense on our part is really, it, it protects life because we have uh, principles, you know, we're not out to just uh, wipe people off the face of the map as, uh, <laughs> to use the words of Iran. <laughs> right. Um, what about cyber attacks? We recently came through a ransomware attack. Some people might think that North Korea is so backward, they can't do anything, but what's your perspective on cyber attacks? No, that, that's a very good point. Um, I remember doing a lot of interviews at, at the time of the Sony hack, um, and that was North Korea was seen to be behind that, as well as threats of violence against any um, theater goer or theater that showed that movie called The Interview, which we made fun of Kim Jong-un. And I remember at the time, uh, oftentimes the, the announce would show on the screen a, a pretty famous nighttime satellite photo of Northeast Asia where you yes. see... Japan and South Korea and China just ablaze with lights and electricity, and North Korea is this black hole, except for sort of a dim light in, in Pyongyang. Um, and they said, look, they can't even keep a light bulb going. How could they possibly do anything with cyber? A- actually, they are. U.S. and South Korean officials say that North Korea is in the top five countries, perhaps top three countries, wow. with cyber attack capabilities. They have thousands of what they call cyber warriors uh, different military units and security service units uh, that are dedicated to either hacking or uh, coming up with computer attacks. So North Korea has been seen as behind uh, not only the Sony hack and perhaps, we don't know yet, this uh, ransomware, but also a kind of a long list of other cyber attacks against uh, U.S. and South Korean uh, government and business targets. Actually, North Korea was behind a cyber bank robbery last year where they got away with $81 million, uh, and they were trying for a billion dollars, but some savvy bank employees kind of noticed what was going on and, and prevented it. So they've been involved in you know bank robberies, but instead of the you know Bonnie and Clyde style you know breaking in with a with a gun, but instead it's all through cyber. That's amazing because the next question I had was, where do they get the money and resources from to develop so many weapons? Well, a lot of it is uh, just how they prioritize their budget. Uh, the estimates are that they devote 25% of their budget to the military, uh, plus another percentage for kind of this adulation, these large-scale uh, events and demonstrations, building statues, kind of seems like every other street corner in North Korea. Uh, so they're devoting a lot of money of, of their government budget to things that obviously don't benefit the, the populace. Uh, they have legitimate businesses. A lot of it is selling resources, although some of that has been curtailed by uh, recent UN Security Council resolutions. Um, and in, in addition to a legitimate economy, they also have the illicit activity. So they have been involved in uh, counterfeiting the U.S. $100 bill. 
they make and distribute illegal narcotics. The, the largest source of methamphetamines in Japan is the North Korean government. Uh, they also are involved in uh, counterfeit pharmaceuticals, uh, counterfeit cigarettes, uh, insurance scams. Uh, North Korean diplomats have even been arrested for uh, selling ivory uh, and other illegal whatever, antiques or whatever. So it, it's they're kind of, uh, if you think of it, like uh, Don Corleone, but with nuclear weapons. <laughs> oh, my. Um, what about life in North Korea? Um, we hear that Christians, especially, are severely persecuted in North Korea. Any comments about that? Yeah, the, uh, the U.N., established a commission of inquiry, and it released a report in uh, February of 2014, a very extensive, a year-long study, and they did interviews with North Korean defectors, and then they also had other information, and and they just, they detailed a a long and appalling list of human rights violations, Uh, and they, they concluded that the violations were so widespread and systemic and obviously government-driven, that they legally constituted crimes against humanity, a phrase we thought went out with the Nazis. Uh, and indeed, the head of the, the commission said, you know, he had heard testimony of things that, you know, had not been seen on the face of the earth since the Nazis. So there's everything from, uh, you know, arresting three generations of a family for the crimes of one, and that crime could be simply criticizing the leader uh, forced abortions, medical experimentation. Uh, if North Korean uh, women go into China to get food and then are either forced back or go back into North Korea, um, if they are pregnant by a, a Chinese man, then they are uh, have forced abortions. Uh, I've talked to a, a North Korean woman who uh, said some of her friends, you know, they were beaten in the stomach with a baseball bat until she aborted. The woman I met with had had a, uh, a medical abortion, but without anesthesia. Mm. Uh, so it's just a, a brutal, brutal regime. Perhaps 100,000, 200,000 people in, uh, in political prisons. Uh, and then Christians are, are also persecuted for their faith. There, there are a few showcase churches in uh, the capital of Pyongyang that uh, foreign visitors might be taken to, but it's all a sham. And um, people have been sentenced to death for not only uh, practicing Christianity, but also even for listening to broadcasts from South Korea. Mm. This is uh, very helpful today to talk with you. Today we're talking with Bruce Klingner. And uh, Bruce, your, your background uh, in terms of going to college, where did you go? National War College? Right. Well, my undergraduate was uh, from, uh, in uh, political science from Middlebury College in Vermont, and then I had uh, one master's in uh, strategic intelligence from the Defense Intelligence College, and then another master's in uh, national security studies from the National War College. So you really enjoy this line of work, it looks like. Well, it, it, it's, it's fascinating. I, yeah. I've, I, I used to work the Soviet Union, and then when that horse got shot out from under me, I converted to uh, to Asia. And I've been doing it for 24 years, and in many ways, I still feel like a rookie. There's always something new to learn. Uh, there's always another layer to, to try to understand and the yeah. interactions amongst the nations in Northeast Asia and then also with the United States. So, uh, And then working North Korea, it seems there's always some crisis every day where, that I walk into. Yes, and uh, I was reading a little bit about you. You're also active in Korean martial arts. 
Right. Um, I have a third-degree black belt in Taekwondo, a first-degree black belt in Hapkido, and a first-degree black belt in what's called Tukang Musul, which is the uh, South Korean Special Forces attack techniques. But uh, that doesn't get me any respect in, in my house because the uh, my wife and three children are all black belts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my wife and two sons are a second degree, and my daughter is a first degree. Well, you must have a lot of fun together. <laughs> well, we try not to get into any arguments because it just messes up the furniture. <laughs> um, in closing, uh, if a person would like to read more, particularly about your writings with North Korea and that sort of thing, where could they go? Uh, the easiest thing is go to uh, heritage.org. That's the website for the Heritage Foundation. Uh, and then they can either look through to find North Korea or search on Korea or my last name, Klingner, K-L-I-N-G-N-E-R. Uh, and that should you know, bring up all the, the writings on not only North Korea, but also other parts of Northeast Asia. One last question, and that is uh, sometimes folks will, will have, a, have a guttural fear that develops. Um, what would you counsel them as they look at world events and have this fear that's overtaking them? Well, I, I think, you know, particularly in North Korea, when I do interviews, you know, on, on the one hand, I need to, in a way, get people more nervous if they're being too flip about, oh, it's just this funny little guy with a funny hair, and, right. you know, North Korea couldn't possibly be a threat. And those, I need to point out, you know, how it is a threat. Uh, on the other hand, when, when people are sort of tempted to, you know, put on a helmet and get under the desk, uh, I sort of counsel, well, you know, we don't think they're there's an imminent threat uh, and that, you know, even if when North Korea develops uh, the ability to hit the U.S., that, you know, they will be deterred by our our military and our missile defense systems if we maintain strength. So uh, it's something, you know, like if you live in a bad neighborhood, you have to be aware of your surroundings. You have to take suitable defenses, uh, but it doesn't mean you have to, you know, cower under the bed every day. Yeah, well put. Our guest today has been Senior Research Fellow for Northeast Asia, Bruce Klingner, with the Heritage Foundation. Bruce, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thanks for having me. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Trust in the wealth of things. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. A name worth more than anything. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Sing. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. Trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. His love never fails. His name will always prevail. We trust in the